and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here as always with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. How's your term going, Jonathan? Oh, it's going fine, Julia. Uh, it's hard to believe it's April already. Uh, I mean, like like mid-April at this point. And, uh, and so we have about a month left, and it's gone very quickly. Uh, I guess mostly in a good way. It's been a kind of a whirlwind for me, uh, even though I've taught, you know, I've taught before. So I'm teaching cognitive neuroscience, which is a, a pretty big lecture undergraduate class. And I've taught it many times before, but the hybrid teaching um, has just sort of taken it out of me. So I'm ready mm-hmm. for a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Put it that way. Yes. How about S- you? Summer is coming. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, good. I'm teaching, I'm teaching this new class that is called color exclamation point. And it's a team talk class that is me, uh, representing psychology and then a colleague in the physics department and a colleague in the philosophy department. And so it's this multidisciplinary look at how we see and think about and represent and understand color. Um, and it's the first time we've taught it and it's awesome. It's mm-hmm. super, super fun to get to like well, for one, I'm learning physics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other night I finished dinner and my husband and Violet were like, what should we do after dinner? And I was like, well, I have some physics homework that I have to finish <laughs> for tomorrow. Um, and that was, that's a new experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's really funny because I have, I have never had a philosophy class in my whole life and haven't had physics literally since high school. Mm-hmm. So this is way outside my comfort zone. Um, but it's just so fun because it's this topic that we're all interested in and teach about and think about in in our other realms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really fun to, you know, see how a physicist and a philosopher tackle a problem that I'm also interested in. Well, and this is like, anyway, I'm going off on a tangent, but it, it's related. How do you, um, it's related in the sense that we're going to talk about teaching later and, and and whatever, but I've never done a team taught class. So can you like... How do you organize it? Do you each take a class period? Do you each take a topic? Yeah, so so I've done uh, this is uh, maybe the the third or fourth time that I've done a team taught class, and it's been different every time. Um, sometimes I've done it where um, we just kind of divvy up the class periods. Uh, that's worked really well when I've team taught intro because you know if I'm teaching it with somebody who studies social psychology, I'll be like, all right. You take these lectures, I'll take these lectures. Mm-hmm. Um, we have typically like always gone to each other's lectures um, because it's nice then for calling back to, oh, I remember when Neil talked about this. Here we have another example, dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this one is, is kind of carved up by professor, but with more um, regular contributions and interjections from the others, even on days where primarily one person is leading it. So it's mm-hmm. more like kind of truly... Each class period is more team taught. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a pretty good amount of work because, in addition to just figuring out the content that I need for myself, I'm also like, you know, uh, checking with people about how does this tie in with what you're going to talk about, and if I talk about this, does that step on the toes of you know what's coming later? Should I mm-hmm. foreshadow? Um, and so it's a, it's a fair amount of work, but you know, if you're working with smart, fun, interesting people like I am. It's super fun, mm-hmm. you know, to like learn from each other and, and also um, to, to like steal teaching ideas. Right. So yep. we're using we're using some like kind of assignments and structuring things um, in a way that I never have before. But one of my other colleagues does and, and has. Um, and some of the some of the techniques we're using that I that we have adopted from her 
are just awesome. And like, I'm going to use them in the future. Um, so, so it's really fun. You know, one of, one of the things that's so funny about our job is you so rarely ever see anyone else do what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like yep. we so rarely see anyone else teach and you can look at people's syllabi or whatever, but, but just like mm-hmm. being in a classroom and being like, Oh, I see when she pauses to ask for questions, she does this. Or when he structures this, you know, like, like mm-hmm. It, it's, mm-hmm. I feel like I've never seen somebody teach or present without learning something about teaching or presenting, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, whether it's, Ooh, I'm going to steal that or, Ooh, I see that didn't quite work. I have to remember that's something that I might try, but maybe I won't now, or, you know, what, whatever it is. Um, yep. and so it's just really fun to see other people do it. Well, I also think I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there are classes like this at Wash U, but they're not ones that I, anyway, that I'm involved with, but I, you know, that kind of cross disciplinary, Teaching, I think, is really instructive too, right? Because you're sort of modeling mm-hmm. how you can look at problems from different from different angles, and and for lots of students, you know, who are interested in multiple topics, um, I think that's probably really valuable too. So, but anyway, yeah. I, I wish I could take it's, your class. It sounds it sounds good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> I do the the lecture videos that um, that I'm making for the class, which which is not a ton, but there's going to be maybe maybe a half a dozen or so um, are on my YouTube channel. So if anybody wants to check those out, you're welcome to. Oh, cool. And um, we will include the, a link to that in the show notes. Oh, great. Uh, which are which are where? Uh, Juiceandsqueeze.net slash 39. 39. 39th episode. Great. Yeah, that's right. One one of the other things about about team teaching that's really fun is um because I don't know anything about physics. Well, no, now I know two days of homework about physics. Um, uh, I am super happy and willing to like raise my hand and ask questions in class that students might also be thinking, but they might think they're dumb questions or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was one, there was one I was asking my physics, physics colleague about, we're like, you know, talking in Google Docs and she said, oh, you should ask this in class. Cause yeah, students, like it seems simple, but it's actually really complicated. It's a great question. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I am so happy to model, hey, I'm a smart, curious person who doesn't know this. Mm-hmm. And the way smart, curious people who don't know things get their needs met is to ask questions. And mm-hmm. so I think it's nice to get to kind of model model that energy, too. Yep. Yep. Well, I, I imagine, though, it's sometimes um, it would be tempting to go off on a tangent, right? Like, I could imagine asking one question and then being like, ooh, but I have 10 other questions about Wait, physics. I have another, I have another right. one. Yeah. 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 And and because um, the the course is um, it's set up for students who have had experience in any of the three disciplines, mm-hmm. um, we've also had to be really mindful about making it work for people. You know, I have to make sure that everything I say about psychology and neuroscience is accessible to someone who has never had a psychology or a neuroscience class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've also been had to be really mindful about you know making sure it's accessible, which is which is a good exercise too, right? You can't rely on jargon; you have to actually think through what information is necessary for them to understand and present it ahead of time. And so it's been Mm -hmm. a a good, a a great pedagogical exercise. Mm -hmm. Cool. Which leads us nicely into the topic of the day, which (laughs) is we're in a little, little mini series here about teaching. Um, And, and although we are nearing the end of the academic year, this is when stuff about teaching is, is freshest in our minds. So we wanted to, uh, we wanted to share it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, people might be doing some preparation over the summer. And so it's a good time to, to think about, think about this. Mm-hmm. So last time in episode 38, we talked about some sort of big picture uh, teaching topics and, and really a lot of it was kind of like 
well, if you're teaching a course, what do you cover? Because you can't cover everything. You can't cover everything in the world. You can't cover everything in the whatever textbook you're using, if you're even using a textbook. Um, and so what do you cover? And we talked a lot about that. And so today we're going to start diving into some of the details. And I think we're going to start with dun, 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 the syllabus. <laughs> what better what better place to start <laughs> uh, yeah it, it, this is funny because i think um i have a different perspective on what a syllabus is for now having taught than i did as a student and i actually think like you know some of these like mismatched uh, expectations are sort of important to to think about but um anyway julia as as a professor what what like what's the purpose of a syllabus what do you think? Yeah, so I've I've heard syllabi described as like a kind of contract. I've heard people you know use that mm-hmm. language to mean like here are the rules you want to grade. I want you to learn, and here is like you know the, our, our our agreement by which instead of buying this house, you are buying this knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know I, I get I I get I get that idea right that like the syllabus is supposed to lay out course policies and give all the information about grading and what happens if you're late and all of that um, so that when things come up later in term, the professor can say, no, no, you knew this was going to happen. Now you know the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't I don't love thinking about it in that way because I don't like the idea of the relationship that I have with students being like contractual. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of approach it with the idea that um, and, and this is this may differ depending on the students that you're working with and the culture of the institution and all of that. But I kind of go in with the um, with the assumption that my students are smart and eager and want to learn. And the syllabus is the place where I'm going to give them all of the information that they need to be successful for the term. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens to include things like, you know, talking about grades and how you turn things in and what to do if you need help. Um, but but I like thinking of it as like, you're going to have questions. Here are the answers. Um, also that it's a place where you can spell out stuff about the hidden curriculum and make it really explicit how to do the things you need to do, like the ask for help and what office hours are for and, and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I now think of it more as like, I don't know, like, like, like a, like a frequently asked questions Mm -hmm. document. Um, like, uh, you know, this is, this is your, your roadmap to success and it's important. So I want to make sure you have all of it in one, one convenient place. Yeah. I like that. It's also sort of like, um, so, so my, uh, my syllabus has evolved over the years I've taught um, and, and so, you know, anyway, so, and, and why, why has it changed? And so it's sort of like, part of it is actual frequently asked questions. So even if I don't phrase it that way in the syllabus, it's like every, every semester people have a question about, um, do I accept late work? And so I make sure that that policy is clear in the syllabus because people always ask about it. Right. So it's kind of like, it is a frequently asked question. I want to make sure that it's clear. Um, and then the other, but the other part is like questions that people should ask, but maybe don't. And this is like the mm. communication, right? So it's sort of like if someone was going to ask, well, how do I, you know, succeed in your course or wh- wh- why is this thing important? Um, then here's what I would tell them. And, and not that people ever come up to me and say, well, why do you give us so many quizzes? Um, but actually the reason is that I 
think practice helps learning and memory. And so I put that in there just in case someone Mm -hmm. bothers to read it, they know why I do it. So anyway, so I kind of like try to be a little bit educational with it. Um, And then the other thing is, honestly, it's a reminder for me. So most of the things about course structure and grading and, and like practical things that are really important for people to know, I try to say uh, in class, but I might forget. Uh, and what if someone misses class that day? And I, I guess for us, especially, I don't know how it is for you, Julia, but you know, the first week and a half or two weeks of class, uh, people can add and drop pretty, pretty easily. And so a lot of times I'll have a good number of students who like miss the first two or three classes and then they, they turn up and, you know, they're in the class the rest of the semester. And so I want them to have the same information that I Mm -hmm. told everyone else on the first day of class, even if I remembered to to say everything. So it's partly, you know, a reminder for me and a a safety net for when I forget to say things uh, to make sure that everyone is, you know, on the same page about everything. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, when we're putting together classes, we all think that the syllabus is important, you know, perhaps for different reasons, but, um, but, you know, it's got lots of important information in it. And, and what we would all like is for students to read it super closely. Um, and there is kind of a, um, I don't know, a, a academic trope, right, that that we spend so long crafting these carefully thought out syllabi, and then nobody reads them. And instructors often get really angry with students and say, it's in the syllabus, read the syllabus. Why didn't you read the syllabus? Um, and I, I, I really, I, I don't like, I don't, I don't like that attitude and and that joke of I put in all this work and the dumb students didn't even take the time to read it and now they're wasting my time by asking me questions um because students are just human beings right and frankly when faculty are presented with similar kinds of situations we don't read the information we're given either right like you know there are there are lots of detailed instructions about how to submit your conference presentation or whatever. But when you have to do it, you don't actually, I mean, most people do not actually read those instructions. They like skim them a little bit for the information they need. And then (laughs) when you do it wrong and get yelled at, you go Mm -hmm. back and and look more closely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, (laughs) um, I had a really funny example of this recently. My wonderful lab manager, Nassim, um, recently we had to do a bunch of like digital reorganization and which our email address, whatever, it's not interesting. But it meant that all of our logins changed. And so Nassim wonderfully and diligently worked with our ITS people and got everything switched and wrote me this long detailed document about everything that I needed to do to get my system up to date to like integrate all of my plugins and everything with with the new logins. And I like looked at it and I bookmarked it and I like kind of half skimmed it. I was like, cool, I have a pretty good sense of what I have to do. Then I promptly forgot and didn't do anything. And then when I needed one of those pieces of software, I was like struggling to figure out how to do it and sent him a Slack message. And I was like, it's not working. What's the matter? He's like, did you, did you, did you uninstall the plugin and then restart? And I was like, no. He's like, okay, well, did you read the document that I, I mean, he, he, he was not at all snarky about it. He was like, okay, well, you know, in the document, it lays out exactly what you have to do. And I was like, oh, this -hmm. is what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, given that and other experiences of, I know we're not all reading all of the material that we are supposed to read. Um, what it, what it makes me wonder is like, why aren't students reading the syllabus? And instead of just making that 
instead of just thinking of that as like a failing of theirs, we should think about like, what are we, what are we doing to encourage them to read it? Um, are we, for instance, making it super dense and 20 pages long and not giving them any incentive to, to look at it? Um, because in that case, it's a lot to ask to be like, read this dense thing that you don't think you're going to need right. when there's a bunch of other stuff going on. Can I just interrupt you there? Because I feel mm-hmm. seen there. One, one point I was going to make, um, so I'll post a link to my cognitive neuroscience syllabus. Uh, it's, it's, it's 12 pages. It was 11 pages going on to the 12th page. I think the first version was like five pages. And then um, all of these things that come up, I say, oh, I, people ask about this. I should put that in there. People ask about this. I should put that in there. And then I get the email from the dean saying, oh, by the way, of course, all of your syllabi should have these two and a half pages of university links and required information that that really no one cares about. And so now it's 12 pages. And so, you know, I wouldn't read a 12. If I was taking a, if I was taking your color course and you gave me a 12 page, well, I would probably read your syllabus because it's interesting, but, <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I it just yeah. your point, I, who wants to read all this and not all of it's relevant. And I know that not all of it's mm-hmm. relevant. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't hold it against students too much if they don't read every word carefully, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And I think it's also important to keep in mind that there's lots of ways of getting information across to students. And so if you have a bunch of stuff in the syllabus about like, I don't know how to do a literature search or how to talk to the disability services office if you need Mm -hmm. accommodation. Well, actually, that one, I think does belong in the syllabus. But, you know, if if there is content in the syllabus that you're like, I have to give them this information somehow, um, I think it's worth thinking about, like, but does it have to be in the syllabus? Because they're more likely to read it if it is shorter and more direct. Um, And so keep, so reserving those precious pages for content that actually matters, like, Mm -hmm. you know, deeply matters to the class is important. Mm -hmm. Like, it's definitely syllabus kind of uh, material. I think it's probably useful for getting them to actually read it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also done, um, so, so I often have like daily quizzes that they do on our content management system on, on Moodle, um, before class and the first class period or the, for the first quiz before the second class period, I always have, um, a a quiz that's about the syllabus. Uh, so the syllabus is like part of their reading for the first night after class and then is, um, is on the quiz. Um, and that's, you know, to to incentivize them to read it, right? Everyone's time is precious and they have a lot of work to do. And given that it isn't immediately obvious why reading the syllabus is important, um, if you say, nope, you actually need to read it because I'm going to ask you questions about it, that's that's a good way of incentivizing it. I, I um, uh, picked, I started doing that after after you mentioned this on some previous mm. episode, Julia, mm-hmm. and, and uh, which I really like. And I also... Um, so it's also, it's a good first quiz because typically uh, people will do very well in that quiz, right? So it's mm-hmm. a good, it's like, Lee, yes, let's get used to the, get the class into the habit of doing quizzes. And also it's, it's a little bit of a freebie because it's all in the syllabus and you can do well. Uh, and then also, and I imagine you probably do this too, but you know, of, of my 12 page syllabus, some things are more important than others. And so guess what? I don't ask about little details to try to fool people. Right. I ask them about the stuff I really want them to know. So if I have five questions on my quiz, those are like the five number one things that people ask about and get confused about. And that way mm-hmm. they all, they all know. Yeah. 
in in classes where I don't have quizzes, um, I'll often take time on the first day and like put them in small groups and ask them questions about the syllabus. Mm-hmm. And it could be things like talk to each other about the you know, structure of grades and see if you can find any, you know, collectively ask any questions that you have about the different assignments or, you know, kind of something, something basic like that. Um, I also will do, I have done like kind of scavenger hunty things with the syllabus. So, you know, go in and like find these specific points of information. Um, I, I also have used time on the first day of class, um, to have them talk through things that I could just write on the syllabus, but mm-hmm. I think are more likely to stick if they talk through them. So one of the things that uh, a question that I'll often ask on the, on the first day, especially for like smaller upper level classes, like my seminars, um, I'll say, come up with an example of a question that you should book an appointment to talk to Julia about one that you should email Julia about one that you should just ask Julia real quick before or after class, and one that you should just Google and not ask Julia about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a super useful exercise for kind of making them say, okay, if I just need to say, like, can you send me the reference for that paper you mentioned in class, that could easily be an email. Um, if I have a question about a definition, that should not be an email. I should Google that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so those kinds of things of like, yeah, you're welcome to meet with me, but don't meet with me if you want to ask for a definition or something like you, you could write all that in the syllabus, but having them talk through it, mm-hmm. I think helps them remember it and also makes it more clear why the answers are what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, without me having to be like, you're welcome to meet with me, but I'm a busy lady. So don't waste right. my time, you know, which that's a very different tone, especially well, early in the term. Yep. Well, and there's also, you know, uh, as educators, uh, and people who are doing this for a living, I think we have an intuition that if you have a question, how do you answer the question? Well, you do research, right? And so that could mm-hmm. be Googling it or it could be looking at their syllabus or whatever, but not everyone has that same intuition. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I also like, um, um, so so just a, like a complimentary thing is if someone asks you information that's in the syllabus, rather than um, sort of being annoyed about that, which... I'm, I'm sure I have been, but it's also an opportunity to say, hey, please look at the syllabus and double check that it's not in there first. And if you can't find it, then then come back and ask me or something like that. So to try to view it as more of a, of a opportunity to encourage people to, you know, take a different approach as mm-hmm. opposed to they're just bugging you. Mm-hmm. Yep. There, there's another thing I tr- I think I did try this for a couple of classes. It works less well with asynchronous and recorded classes. But I got this idea from someone whose name I can never pronounce. Um, Sorry, I'm going to mute my text so I don't get a ding. Uh, I got this idea from someone whose name I can't pronounce. It's Edward Tuft, but it might be Tufty. Um, Tufty, yep. Is it Tufty? Okay, good. So it's from Edward Tufty. And and he's written um, several books. He's very interested in sort of um, um, presenting data and and, um, not really graphic design, but the, the, well, the visual display of quantitative information, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I, anyway, I went to a um, a talk that he gave one time. and, And one of the things that he does is he has a study hall portion of the meeting. And so if you want people to read something that you're all going to discuss together, uh, one option is you tell people ahead of time, please read this before, before we meet, and then we'll talk about it. But people are busy and they may not do it. 
So another option is you say, okay, I've passed out a thing. Now we'll just be quiet for five minutes or eight minutes while you all read it. And then we'll talk about it. And so you kind of build in some reading time to class. Um, and you can't do that for everything, but actually mm-hmm. for, for some things, especially if they're short or for something that's really important, um, I think that's a really interesting idea. And then, so I've done that with the syllabus before, and then people have questions, which is great. I, I, I don't do it with like, I think if there was a video where there was an eight minute pause to give people time to read the syllabus, <laughs> I'm guessing they would not sit there for eight minutes and read the syllabus. I would watch that on double speed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's nice. And and also, um, or, you know, if you go over it or give them time or whatever, and then also give them an opportunity to sit in small groups and talk through things, because people are so much more emboldened to ask questions Mm -hmm. after they've had a little time to chew on it and think about it, and especially talk it through with other people and make sure it's not a dumb question or they haven't missed something or whatever. Right. Dumb was in air quotes there. I don't know if you can hear that. (laughs) I I, I did, actually. <laughs> I will say so. You know, I, I like the idea of generally not viewing it as a contract, but I, I will say that um, a few of the things in my syllabus are in there because of specific experiences I've had with, um, you know, anyway, difficult situations come up, like with plagiarism or whatever, and I think, oh, you know, that should be clear from the syllabus that X and X isn't allowed or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and so I think. Some of that I I do have in there as sort of a little bit of a, it's obviously not a legal clause, but anyway, just to kind of protect myself. So I I think this is part of it too. We'll we'll kind of get into this later today and maybe maybe going into next time about trying to be fair to everyone and and how we can be um, equitable in our um, setting up a course. But one of those things that helps me is to have clear principles that I can apply the same to everyone. And so how do Mm -hmm. I do that? Well, I have to write them down somewhere. And rather than have them be secret, I would rather have them be open, right? So if the, anyway, if the principle is, if you, if you plagiarize, you're going to get a zero on the assignment, I should write that, make that public and not have it be, who knows what's going to happen if you plagiarize, right? So whatever the, Mm -hmm. whatever the thing is. So I do have a few little statements that are kind of more contractual and maybe not everyone has to read them, but I, it makes me feel better to have them in there. Yeah, and 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 also that it helps to both enforce and convey fairness. Right. 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 That mm-hmm. that you know, if somebody at the end of term says, "Oh, I wish my grade were higher. Can I write an extra essay or something?" Mm-hmm. You say, "No. The, this is this is the course policy. This is how this is how it works." Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's also kind of a way of like saving yourself from having to make every decision. Exactly. Right. Like if yep. a student comes to you and is like, "Can I do extra work?" I'm like, "Well, I don't." I'm like, "Nope. This just that that is that is not how this works." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and and so it is. I mean, it's 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 kind of cover in a way, right? That you're like, no, no, it says in the syllabus. Um, I don't super buy that because like we can write whatever we want in the syllabus. Right. So saying right. saying it's in the syllabus, therefore I can't it's it's out of my hands is like, well, but you wrote the syllabus. Um but but it is a like a way of saying this is the policy for everyone in the interests of fairness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the syllabi for for my courses tend to be super short and sweet and just give kind of like the um um most critical broad strokes information about the course um and then many of the other things that i would have in previous years put in the syllabus i end up conveying 
in some other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the Carlton students or the fact that they're short or the fact that they have a quiz about it or, or what, but, but I feel like I get very few questions that, that made me say, Oh, you didn't read the syllabus. It's right on there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the, who, who knows, who knows which of those things have any have done it. Um, mm-hmm. but things to think about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, all of them will put a, we'll put a link in the show notes to my website that has all my syllabi on it as well. Great. What? Well, yeah. I want to see those too. Mm-hmm. Another thing I do, and I don't know if this, helps either if if it's just something i waste time on um i make them pretty i make them interesting to look at i use like nice layout and design for them um because i think people are more inclined to want to look at stuff that's visually interesting than just Mm -hmm. you know a wall of text i know some people i've never done the thing of like putting in an easter egg where like in the middle of the third paragraph about academic integrity it says if you read this send me a gif of a dolphin or whatever mm-hmm. um i've heard about people doing that and it sounds on twitter like the people who do that think that's very fun okay I i've never done, done that it, either but, uh-huh. uh, mine are not visually appealing they're just a wall of text julia so maybe that's one mm-hmm. of my <laughs> people don't read it because of that one thing you know, though I, who yeah. knows yeah <laughs> yeah i know i know it's, i it's, uh, it's good to think about um, mm-hmm. One thing that I started doing, so, you know, back in the old days, so, you know, I, since I've been teaching, we've always had a, um, some kind of online content management system. It used mm-hmm. to be Blackboard. Now it's Canvas. You have Moodle, um, mm-hmm. which is great because you just put the syllabus on there. It's available. Uh, when I first started teaching this class, we had like 50 students and I would, I would print out a copy for everyone. Um, but just because I thought they'd be more likely to read it if they had a thing in front of them to page through while I was talking about it. As the class got up to 200, well, you know, it starts to be a lot of paper to waste. And I felt bad about that. And I, and then, mm-hmm. you know, so I stopped printing it. And then the other thing that changed was I used to, you know, I, I would do the syllabus before the semester and I would, there'd be a PDF and I would upload it. And then, you know, a few times during the semester, I'd have to change it. If, if nothing else, I usually have like a, you know, uh, what topic will be covered every day. And of course it might change, but people get confused if your topic doesn't line up with what you said you would do. And so, mm-hmm. um, so every time I change it, I'd have to like resave it as a PDF and then re-upload it and then fix the link in the, anyway, it was, it was a pain. So, so now I just have all of my syllabi be um, Google docs that are you know, um, anyone can see them, but only I can edit them. And that way, uh, if I ever make a change, if someone pulls up the link, they just always get the most current version. Uh, and then also if, if students, you know, are, oh, they write to me and they say, oh, I'm thinking about taking your class next semester. What's it like? I can just send them a link to the syllabus. And I know, yeah. yes, I could also send them a PDF or whatever, but for me, it's just an easier, easier workflow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, for my open science class that I taught um, this fall, I did that, but also made, so I made it in, in, in Google Slides. So it kind of looks like a, I don't know, very, very, very low tech website. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that has like, that, that did the syllabus plus course management stuff all in one spot so that I could make it fully publicly accessible. Um, and that was also really nice because then, you know, when I'm like, adding my lectures or adding new links to things. It's just all in one spot. 
-hmm. Students can see it. Public can see it. It's also like where I kept track of everything. Um, And that really has a lot of appeal over something like Moodle where you have to log in and it's, you know, only open to the Carleton community and all of that. Right. Well, and honestly, even for my experience, especially working, you know, off campus a lot the last year, um, every time I have to log into something, there's always a two-factor authentication and I have to Mm -hmm. get my phone and, you know, do all. And it it is a barrier even to me to to work on my own stuff, right? And so I'm I'm Mm -hmm. sure it's a barrier to other people too. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. yes, the more we can kind of get around that, uh, I think the better. Yeah. One of the other things that I wanted to talk about, about um, syllabi and kind of teaching in general, is something that it took me many years of teaching before I, I realized, which is the importance of explaining and justifying your choices to students. Um, so I have been really, st- I mean, and it makes all the sense when you think of students as human beings, because I am also very moved by people justifying their choices, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I don't understand. That's a dumb rule. And then you learn more about it. You're like, oh, I do understand. That makes sense. Um, and so so I, I try to do that in my classes when I'm talking about like, this is why we do quizzes, like you were talking about, you know, like, mm-hmm. this is why mm-hmm. we do daily quizzes. And I'll even like show them research on the testing effect and the fact that retrieve practicing retrieving information leads to better retrieval. Um, you know, so like, so justifying why the assignments are the way they are explaining like what what the purpose of the assignments is, and and especially for things that are like, that seem annoying. You know, if it's like, oh, I understand that, it might seem really picky that you have to X, Y, Z. Um, but here's why I think it's an important habit for you to get in and a good exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that goes so far in making people, students feel like you're on their side and not just forcing them to do busy work. Um, and, and for, for stuff that has to do with like, I don't know, like, like the, the, the meta learning, right? Like learning about learning. Um, maybe if they understand the purpose of doing regular quizzing and retrieval practice, then that's something that they will take with them into future classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I when I talk about what's on the syllabus or the course structure, I think taking the time to like justify justify those things is, is really worth the time. Um, and it also shows students that you're like being thoughtful and caring about them and trying to put together a good experience for them and not just being like, 50% tests, 50% papers, we're done. Right, right. Not there's anything wrong with that breakdown. I just, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that I started doing, um, it, it, anyway, it's, it's a little bit of a cheat, but it's it's okay. Um, is so, the, you know, the first class that I'm talking about this, um, I, I've started using pull quotes from my teaching evaluations. And so, mm. and so one thing in particular, so I do, um, it's been a little bit, I, I've done a, actually fewer quizzes in now with COVID for various reasons we can talk about. But anyway, I do lots of quizzes and I um, typically in non-COVID times, they're pop quizzes and they're on whatever material or whatever reading we've been doing. Um, and so they're usually about 10 or 12 throughout the course of the semester. And and people, uh, you know, you'll be shocked to know that students don't love this, uh, especially when I teach at 8.30 in the morning. Um, and sometimes the quiz is the first thing of the day. Um, not everyone is jumping jumping up and down for joy. But mm-hmm. when I get my comments at the end of the semester, a lot of people, so you know, this is very authentic. I don't I, I'm not I don't cherry pick the comments too much. A lot of people said 
uh, you know, what was something good about the class? And they say, oh, the quizzes, because it kept me on task and I, it kept, kept me from procrastinating and helped me to stay up with the material. So mm-hmm. it, in the first class, I say, I know that not everyone loves quizzes. You know, it's kind of like, I'm sorry, I'm going to do it anyway, but here's why. And then I, mm-hmm. I, I throw up some quotes from, from students who said they liked it. Um, and so obviously I, I, I don't, I don't lie. Those are real quotes. I could ignore the 90% of students who hate it and just put up the quotes from people who like it. But actually, uh, honestly, I don't get any complaints about it and I get lots of people who say they're helpful. So, um, I think, I think it's okay, but I think that's kind of, um, you know, a useful, um, it's, I guess it's a pedagogical device or, or, or a, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, it's a way to convince people that it's not just don't listen to me, listen to the other students who have taken the class, that this is mm-hmm. actually in your best interest, even though in the moment it's not your favorite thing. Yep. Yep. One of the other times that I um, really have used justifying choices um, is around like midterm evaluation time. So, you know, I'll do an evaluation halfway through term. That's just how are things going? What's working? What isn't working? All of that. Um, And then I'll take a solid like 10 minutes in class after they have done that that in the next day um, and kind of talk through what the themes, what the themes were. And sometimes it is, boy, a bunch of people mentioned that it would be nice to I don't know, have access to the slides or mm-hmm. whatever. I do, I do that anyway. But, you know, it, it could be things like that that I actually can and will change. Um, so I'll say, yep, they are now in a folder on Moodle. Or people said the reading quizzes are really stressful and could we drop three instead of dropping one or, you know, so, something mm-hmm. like that where mm-hmm. I'm actually going to change something. Um, but I think it's also super useful to talk about the things that you aren't going to change and explain why. So, mm-hmm. so if I say a lot of people mentioned that there's a lot of content that you're responsible for on the exam. And that was really stressful on the first exam or something. I say, well, there's a lot of content and I'm keen that you learn that. And here are some of the resources you can learn to help use to help make it more manageable or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like taking the time to say, I know that not everybody likes this, but I'm doing it for a good reason. Mm -hmm. Um, makes them so much happier. I mean, so much more like willing to accept that that thing is still going on. Then if they're mad about it, they tell you about it and you just don't say anything about it. Or you say, we're not changing, you know, just, we're not changing that, but, but not here's why. Right. Um, which is frankly, exactly how I would respond. Mm -hmm. Right. When the university is like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. we have to do a hiring freeze. I'm like, that's dumb. We need new people. And they're like, no, but here's the budget and look at why you're all the reasons. And if we do it for this many years, then this is what's going to come out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, and like having, having that rationale for all humans Mm -hmm. (laughs) helps you feel better about, you know, about the situation. So, um, but when I, when I first realized that I was talking with a senior colleague who who I stole this idea from, and he was like, yeah, I didn't actually change anything, but everybody felt better after midterm when I explained why I wasn't changing anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was like, ah, brilliant. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, and also I think, I think the more we can do to, um, you know, foster an attitude of we're all in this together. And like mm-hmm. we want, you know, as professors, we, we want our students to succeed and they want to succeed too. But actually in the big picture, um, that doesn't always mean, um, you know, teaching less content and, and making all the grading easier, because in the big picture, that's actually not going to help you. Like you have to learn mm-hmm. resilience and grit and how to study and how to ask for help. And there are these sort of bigger, you know, life lessons that you learn partly through through our courses, I hope. 
right? And so, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and so there's there's a balance between working together, uh, but also, you know, we we've done this before and we have some ideas about this, and so we want to, um, you, you know, we're still in charge, but like, you know, doing it collaboratively. All right, so we have now talked about kind of the big picture teaching philosophy stuff. Did we really just do a whole episode on the syllabus? Well, yes, and you know, and other syllabi related things. Um, uh, so, so next time we are going to round out round out our mini series on teaching um, by talking about things like the kinds of readings we assign and why, and the kinds of assignments we have, and our motivations, and is it group work or individual work, and things like that. Um, but we are really eager to hear from you about what else you would like to know about. What are the teaching things you're nervous about, or have struggled with, or are just interested? For, for additional perspectives on. So please feel free to uh, send us a message uh, on the website, juiceandsqueeze.net, or uh, on Twitter at juiceandsqueezepod. Um, we would love to uh, we'd love to hear from you. Or if and you have things always, that have just oh. worked really well that you want to share yeah. with the world, uh, we're always Great open call. for suggestions too. So yeah, feel free to brag about stuff you've tried that's worked. Yes, thank you. Uh, and... Your computer looks pretty cool, but it would look cooler if it had a sticker on it. Want a Juice Squeeze sticker? Send us a message and we'll put one in the mail for you. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. Bye-bye.